All right, class is in order. Welcome, welcome, everybody. Welcome to Connect. Welcome online, Framingham Campus, TC. We're glad that you're all here today with us as we start our summer school series, the book of James, a book of wisdom, the wisdom of James. I am Pastor Steve. I am the Director of Finance and Administration, but today I am Professor, all right? Professor Steve, so I hope you enjoy this series. We're, we're kind of setting back and diving in. And I don't know what you, how you feel about going back to school. Um, for some of us, that was a long time ago. <laughs> and it can be intimidating. In fact, I remember when I was uh, 2006, I was considering this, what I felt was a call of God to leave the business world and into full-time ministry. And I felt like if I was going to do that, I wanted to take some steps of further education, of working on a master's in Christian ministries and doing some of that. And um, as I was thinking about it, and as I went to school, to college that first day, I went with fear and trepidation. Yeah. It, you know, it's, it's a little intimidating knowing that you've been out of, you haven't been in a classroom in 25 years. And you walk in with these young guns, just graduated from college. They got, you know, just knowledge and brains oozing out their ears. And, you know, you're saying, wow, I don't belong here. And I don't know if sometimes maybe you might feel that, you know, ah, oh, well, this is maybe class and college or, or, or learning. But, you know, when you're together with a bunch of believers who love the Lord, want to learn, want to study, want to apply, it was, it was a wonderful experience. And I loved every minute of it. And so this, we, this week and next week and the next actually four weeks, we want you just, just to absorb, just to come and be ready to learn as we dive in to the book of James. We're going to make it easy for you. You might have noticed there was no registration to get into this class, right? I got better news. There's no tuition. <laughs> yeah. So no one's going to leave here today with a boatload of student debt. That's good, isn't it? Best news at all, there's no tests. So yeah, yeah, you like it when there's no tests, huh? I would say this, the other good news is there's no assigned seating. But I know in church, everybody sits in the same seat they sat in last week and the week before and the week before anyhow, right? You're all, yep, last time I preached, I think you're all in the same seats. And that's, that's the way it goes. But uh, so that's not what we're not, what we're not doing. But what we are doing, we're going to study, we're going to learn, we're going to grow together. Does that sound good? And we're going we're gonna to be interactive. We're going to engage because that's what we do here at Connect, right? You interact, we engage, and we take notes, right? Because note takers are history makers. You know it. And so uh, as we go today, I'll point out a few times where you need to take notes, but you need to take notes some other times and just encourage you to do that. So um, we're ready to go. Are you with me? Yes. All right. Well, let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this opportunity to come this morning. We thank you that, Lord, you are here. And, Lord, we don't want to be anywhere where you're not. And, Father, we know it and we recognize it and we just thank you that you have come. And, Lord, now as we open your word, we trust that you are going to speak to us. You're going to, Lord, shed light in areas of our lives that we need to hear from you. And, Lord, we need your challenging this morning. Lord, we need your, your guiding this morning. Lord, we need you to come and speak to us through your Holy Spirit in powerful and, and precious ways to lead us into your truth. 
Father, thank you that we can come, and this is such a day that the Lord has made. We rejoice and be glad in it, and we just praise you and thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. 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 Well, I tell you, it is good to be here. I've been gone for a couple weeks uh, in Ohio, and uh, thanks, brother. And it's, uh, it's good to be back worshiping uh, with, with my people and my home people, so it's good to be here. And uh, so let's just say this, class is in session, all right? Classes in session. Now, what I'm going to be a little, doing a little bit, especially for the first part, half of the sermon maybe, message, is to uh, go over our syllabus. I mean, don't you have to have a syllabus in a class? So we got to go through the syllabus. 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 Yes. Syllabus. Just a little bit. And to talk about our textbook. Our textbook is this book, all right? You got it? Our textbook is God's Word because we believe that God's Word, is the, this Word, is the inspired Word of God. And so we want to use that. We want to learn from it. We want to apply it. And that's what James is all about. In fact, we believe it is the inspired Word of God. And, and one passage is not up on the screen, but if you, you need to write it down, if you're taking notes, though hopefully you are, is 2 Timothy 3.16. It's one of the great 3.16s of the Bible, and it simply says this, all Scripture is God-breathed, or some say inspired by God. All Scripture is God-breathed, and it is profitable or useful for teaching, for re- rebuke for correction and training in righteousness. But it doesn't stop there. Verse 17 says, so that the servant of God may be fully equipped for every good work. And so this morning, I want us to understand that as we pick up this textbook, to understand that God's word is not something that we just open, read it, close it, put it on the shelf, and go on about our duties. God's word is to be studied, read, and then applied. God's word is to be studied, read, and practiced. God's word is not something we just internalize or just in our intellect, but it's in our heart. It has to change us. It has to, some in some way, impact the way we live. And so that's what we're going to be looking at is how God's Word impacts us, how it changes us, and then what are we going to do about it. That is so much of what James is about. We have this intellectual knowledge, but it just can't be intellectual. It's got to be heart knowledge because the, the teaching, the rebuking, the correcting, and the training is in righteousness. It's, it's, to be, it's so that we become righteous individuals. And I learned something a long time ago, and this is worth writing down. Write this down if you write nothing else down. Write this down. When it comes, well, now I forget what it is. <laughs> I learned a long time ago. I just, I, the longer I go, the worse my memory is. No one, no one stumbles into righteousness ever. Did you get that? No one stumbles into righteousness ever. You know, we just don't wake up one day and, and all of a sudden we're just going around life and the merry-go-round of life and all of a sudden we're righteous. It's something that takes intention. It's something that takes study. It takes something that applied. It's taking God's word and allowing it to speak to us, to rebuke us, to correct us, to teach us, to train us so that we can become righteous. 
But that doesn't stop there because there is two words when you go into verse 17 that are so important. And there are two little words. It says, so that. And I encourage you, when you're reading through scriptures and you see those words, so that, those are easy to skip over sometimes, right? Ah, so that, they're just filler words. Well, there are filler words here. When Paul's writing this, he's saying, we have been corrected, we have been rebuked, we have been, we have been taught and trained, and it is moving us to righteousness, but there's a greater purpose. So that we may be fully equipped for every good work. Thoroughly equipped. And that's what God's word does. God's word, he, he prepares us to do good works. We are thoroughly equipped for every good work. And that is so important when we come to James. Okay? So you ready to get into our textbook? James chapter 1. Got your Bibles there? Now, I have the old, what we call this the analog version. You know, you, you, maybe some of you have the, di, the, the digital version where you can pull it up on your uh, screen there. If you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you one. Head down to Guest Central and Bibles there. If you're watching us online, you say you don't have a Bible, let us know. We will get you one. We, we'd love to send you one and get it to you today. We're coming to chapter to James. James, if you're having struggling finding it, go to the end of the Bible, Revelation, just start backing up a few places, you know. You, get, you, you flip through Jude and, and John and Peter, and you finally get to, uh, to James. And so th- this really, to start off here, is the foundation for the next four weeks of our study. And we see here the setting. And the setting is a letter from James to the Jewish believers, and we read that in verse 1. It says this, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. And you've heard me talk, and it's, not, it's kind of typical to say the book of James, but we see here and we understand this really isn't a book, it's a letter. And a lot of our Old Testament, New Testament, especially there at the end, are letters that have been written to individuals. And so this is a letter, and unlike some of the letters that I would write today where I put my name at the end, Steve, here it's kind of more like an email where you see your, your name right at the top, James. And he introduces himself, but it's interesting, he doesn't say much about himself, so we wonder, well, who is this? Well, by process of elimination and other studies, pretty much uh, scholars agree that this James is the half-brother of Jesus, the leader of the church at Jerusalem. In fact, if you go to Acts chapter 15, you see James leading the council at Jerusalem during a very critical time. And so James, a very influential man, a very, uh, you would think, powerful man as the leader of the church at Jerusalem, chooses to say none of that in his introduction. Very unlike me. If it was me, I would start off with, I am Steve, and by the way, my bro is the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> I have some authority here because I grew up with him, I ate breakfast with him, I went to school with him, I worked in daddy's workshop with him, and I know all about him, so listen to me. Oh, and by the way, I also happen to be the head of the church, <laughs> if you didn't notice, but he doesn't get into any of that. Right away, he establishes what he, his relationship with his Lord. He says, I'm a servant. I'm a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ on equal level. 
And he says that, and he says, I am, I am committed to him. I'm going to live for him. That's what all this servant does. In fact, this word, the Greek word, really is a bond servant. It isn't a servant that goes home at night, uh, clocks in at 8 o'clock in the morning, serves, does a little bit of meals, and you know, takes care of the kids or you know, cleans up, vacuums, and goes home at 5 o'clock at night. No, this is a slave. And it's just willing, willingly put into that position of a slave, lovingly put into that position. I want to serve you, Lord. He has a relationship with his Savior. It's a reminder to us to not get the cart before the horse. You know, because James is going to talk about a lot of actions. Do this, don't do that, you know, or, or you can be better if you do this. But he says, before that, you must know your relationship with Christ. You must have experienced that relationship first. He must be central in your life before you move on. It's, uh, it's been an interesting couple weeks in the Steer household. We were in Ohio for two weeks, and uh, four days ago, I had the very deep honor of, of officiating at the funeral for my mom. And she had been, she'd been ill for nine years with Alzheimer's, uh, a strong woman of Christ. And as we were going through and I was leading the, the service, I had a chance to have my brothers come up and talk and talk about mom, and they did. And then my wife, Sheila, came up and talked about her and her life and kind of from the daughter-in-law's perspective. And if you, if you know my mom, the, I just want to share just a couple words that that my wife had to share, because my wife grew up in a Christian home where all the women were taught to be quiet, not, to be reserved, to be proper, don't get excited, and all those things. Here's what she said about mom. She said, Evie was the opposite of everything I've ever seen in a Christian woman. <laughs> not reserved, not restrained. She was outgoing, extroverted, very outwardly expressive, fun, happy, Laughing, silly, ornery, enthusiastic, excited. She couldn't help but show her emotions. Vivacious, strong, stubborn, independent, worked outside the home, never give up attitude, do with excellence, wanted to win, competitive. And I might add, very competitive. <laughs> she never let her grandchildren beat her anytime in any game, not even doubt of being nice. But she closed with this. She says, for her friends to know Evie was to experience Evie. To know somebody is different than experiencing them. And when we have our relationship with God, and I think as I see this in James' relationship, he has an experience with Jesus Christ. Because he, he wasn't a believer. In chapter 7 of John, it says his brothers didn't believe. But after his resurrection, it says Jesus appeared to James. And James became a leader. And he had this experience that changed his life. It changed his direction. And it changed everything about how he lives and how he relates to his God. And he says, before you get on to your actions, before you start changing your, trying to change your, the way you do things or how you live, make sure, first of all, you've had this experience with the Savior. Make sure you have that, and then we can move forward. And so he tells this to Jewish believers who are scattered around the world, probably because of persecution, probably after the 
the stoning of Stephen, they felt the need to get out of town, and so many of them did. But many of them are facing difficulties. Many of them are facing challenges. And so their pastor, James, is writing to them. And the second theme, or the, the, the second theme of this letter, the general theme, is that of wisdom lived out. James is a book of wisdom. He is writing words of wisdom to people who need to hear them. Don't we all need to hear a little bit of wisdom today? And he says, you know, ask for wisdom. God will give it to you. In verse 5, he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. The book of James is not written like a lot of Paul's letters, where he's making a, a theological argument, and it's kind of linear. It builds on, builds and builds and builds and builds and makes a point. The book of James is a lot like Proverbs. It kind of goes in circles. You start reading James, and we're going to do that in the next four weeks, and you see that it, he kind of starts with a topic, he introduces a topic, he, he, he talks about it a little bit, and he gives an illustration, and after the illustration, he kind of gives a pithy little one-liner to remember it. And then he moves on. And then he comes back to it a little later. And then he builds it and he, and he comes back and he does those things. And you'll find that as we go through this book of James. In fact, some of the things we're going to talk about in the next four weeks today is living out, living out this uh, God-centered life. And how do we do that? Next week, Pastor Cliff is going to be here with Tests and Trials and how we deal with Tests and Trials, a practical book. A Taming of the Tongue will come after that. And Life is a Mist. And it comes and goes very quickly. Just some of the things that James talks about. And we, but it's a very, very practical book. Because it's practical, because it's practical, right at the beginning, though, he has a call to action. And that call to action is really the theme of the book, and it's James 1.22. And it simply says this, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Authentic faith must be evidenced by deeds. And that is a theme we're going to see throughout the book of James. Listening to God's word is not enough. Reading God's word is not enough. Studying God's word is not enough. The word of God has to come and impact us to the point where it changes our lives, changes how we interact with people, and lifts us out of maybe the muck and the mire that we've been in all our lives. If you think that just reading the Bible and not acting on it is good enough, woe is us. Yeah. Woe is us. We need to respond. This verse summarizes the whole letter. We must put into practice what we profess to believe. We must put into practice what we profess to believe. You know, I take credit for coining a phrase that maybe you've heard before. I did this a long time ago. And the phrase is simply this, just do it. You heard that? Just do it. I said it first. Now, you're, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. Pastor Steve, you stole it from Nike. Uh-uh. They stole it from me. Yeah. They stole it from me. Then that's the theme of James, just do it. And I, I guess maybe I stole it from James. <laughs> Just do it. 1988, Nike came out with that phrase, and we all heard it, just do it. And we've, 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 we've grown up with that, many of us, just do it, Nike. And, and the, it just it still burns me that they get credit and I don't. <laughs> I, I have witnesses. I have witnesses that I used that prior to 1988. <laughs> One time prior to that, in our young married life, my wife and I went golfing for the first time. 
I'd gone golfing before. It was our first time together, and I think it was her first time golfing. Now I know it was. And so we get on the, we get on the first tee, and, and she gets out club, and I, or else I hand her a club, and she goes, she gets up there, and she goes, okay, what do I do? Well, I'm, I'm a self-taught golfer. No one taught me. So I look at her, and I go, you hit the ball. <laughs> Hit the ball and she looked at me. Well, what? What do you mean? What do you? Why? Hit the ball. Just do it. <laughs> and so you know. And that's the last time we ever golfed together. <laughs> and it is. It is the last time we ever golfed. And uh, thank goodness my coaching and mentorship uh, abilities have improved over the years. But you know what I mean. Paul uh, James is saying here. Let's just do it. When you hear the word of God. Do it. And he follows that verse about hearing and doing the word of God with an illustration, like James tends to do. And he writes this in verse chapter, chapter 1, verse 23. He says this, Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Now, I got to admit, I talked about Sheila just a minute ago, but we're going to do it again because her and I, my wife and I, have a love-hate relationship with mirrors. She hates them. I love them. <laughs> Yeah. When we, you know, if we're in a department store, you know how they have this big mirror so you can look at yourself. And, and, and if we're walking by it and she, she sees a mirror, she goes, you know, it's kind of like this, you know, walk by. On the other hand, if I'm walking by and I'm walking by and I'm kind of like this. And... <laughs> you know, but so, so, but you get the feeling. I, I tell you, I came in this morning and I, they take me back to the room that the pastors get to sit in beforehand and study. And there's this mirror, you know, this big, I'm looking at it. Oh, it's heaven, you know. <laughs> no, so I'm there. And I, I know what you're thinking. You're saying you had all that time to look at yourself in the mirror and you still look like this. Yeah, it's, that's the way it goes. But, but you see this, he says, he says, this person here is anyone who listens but does not do what I say. It's like someone who looks at that mirror, and it's more than just a glance. It's a careful observation is that word there. I mean, you're looking at it, and you're carefully looking at it. Yeah, okay, uh-huh, yeah, carefully, and then walks away and immediately forgets. That's the person who hears the word and doesn't act on it. And how absurd is that? How absurd is it to be looking at something, to seeing that my hair is messed up, and when I was in the food court at the mall there, I still have lettuce in my teeth and not do anything about it. <laughs> and in fact, go away and forget. We don't do what the word says. Sometimes it's, we're just so content the way we are. I'm content the way I am. I don't want to change. Maybe it's just lazy. <laughs> just lazy in our faith. I've looked into the mirror, and it's revealed something to me, 
but I'm too lazy to change. A, a, great, a great man in my life, mentor and missionary, pastor, administrative le a leader, um, loved to hear him preach and, and, and to speak into my life. And he, a saying that he had, and he said this over and over, I mean, I heard it years and years and years and years. He says, the, the Bible speaks more of sins of omission than the sins of commission. So much the Bible is things that you're not doing that you should be doing. And I forgot to put it in the notes. I can't believe I did. But another one to write down is James 4.17. 4, 4.17 is a sin to know what to do and then not do it. It is a sin. It's a sin to look in that mirror and hear and see, be, have revealed to me things that need to be corrected, rebuked, changed, taught and to do nothing about it. Intently. The next, that starts off there, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom continues in it. But not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it. Say doing it. Doing it. Doing it. Again, doing it. Doing it. Yeah, doing the word. We need to be doing the word is what he is saying here. And that word intently, the Greek word that's right there, means kind of to, to stoop and to peer. And it's the exact same Greek word used in John 20 when John runs to the grave of Jesus and he stoops and he peers, examining, taking time, making sure you observe everything. And he says that person who will intently peer into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting, but doing it. Say doing it. Doing it. They will be blessed in what they do. What do you see when you glance into the perfect law that brings freedom? Much more than the Old Testament. What do you, what do you see when you glance into the words of Jesus Christ? and then compare it to your own life? Some things that maybe aren't always the easiest to apply. Turn the other cheek. Yeah, I don't like that one. <laughs> but do it. Go the second mile. Don't always like that. I'm lazy sometimes. Do it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Ah, who's my neighbor? Yeah, the one who has needs. The one that's going to take me out of my comfort zone. The one who's going to cause me to have to sacrifice. That's my neighbor. Love your enemy. Ah, what kind of rule is that? <laughs> Love your enemy. Wow. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who persecute you. Do it. <laughs> wow. You see, staring into this law, this perfect law, and applying it to our lives can sometimes be very difficult. How about this one? You've heard this. Forgive. Once. Twice. Seven. Seventy times seven. Forgive. How are we at forgiving? Are we, are we taking that and are we doing it? We could go on and on. I was hungry. 
and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger. You invited me in. I was naked. You clothed me. I was sick. You cared for me. I was in prison. You visited me. So much on the sins, uh, on, on the things we should be doing. And how are we doing with that? James returns to that theme in chapter 2. We talked about the circular nature of James. He returns to it in chapter 2, verse 14 through 18. He says this, What good is it, brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but have no deeds? Can that faith save him? Wow. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace and keep warm and be well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself is not accompanied. If, if it is not accompanied by action, it's dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Okay? But I say, show me your faith without, my, without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. By my deeds. The Word of God has to impact the way we live. The Word of God has to impact the way I, I, I interact with my boss, with my neighbor, with my children, with my grandchildren, my grandma. It has to impact the way we deal with those that we run into at school. It has to impact the way we serve the world around us. James is saying, if all you got is words, if all you got is, I believe this, <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't buy it. I don't buy your faith. It's got to be a faith of action. It's got to be a faith of doing. Uh, Eugene Peterson wrote the message, and it's a version of the a paraphrase of, of Scripture. And later in chapter 2, he says this way of James. He says, use your heads. Do you suppose for a minute that you can cut faith and works in two and not end up with a corpse on your hands? The very moment you separate body and spirit, you end up with a corpse. Separate faith and works, you get the same thing, a corpse. That's how serious the Bible is and James is about acting out our faith, living out our faith, taking our God-centered lives and not going and living in a cave and just and being a, a monk or anything like that, but to live out in the world and let our faith be real. And it's not just James that says that. Jesus shares a parable from the Sermon on the Mount about the outcomes of either living with faith or living out with actions or out actions. And your story we all know pretty well probably. It's Matthew 7, 24 through 27. It's two builders. And the story goes like this. Therefore, everyone who hears the words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down. Wow. Was this just the other night? I don't know. <laughs> the rain came down. The streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone hears these words of mine and does not put them into action. It's like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell with a great crash. I want you to notice something. Both builders had identical circumstances. Both builders, according to this, 
They would have the same materials. They would have been, they would have been given the same objective as to build this house. Both face the same challenges. Both face the same rains. Both face the same winds. Both faced the same identical scenarios. There was only one difference. The scripture tells us what it is. The wise builder, the, the property that stood was the one who heard the word of God and what? Did it. The one who home collapsed, building collapsed, heard the word of God and ignored it. Like the guy who walked away from the mirror. And the Bible is telling us, don't be that builder. Don't be that individual who walks away from mirror. Don't be that person. Be the person who hears the God, hears the word of God and puts it into action. Be that person. Now, sometimes, I know it's easy to say sometimes, I know, it's just a bunch of rules. So much of this Bible is just a bunch of rules and stuff like that. Well, I remember, you know, when I'm sick and I go to a doctor, or if I'm out of shape and I need a personal trainer, or if I'm studying for a test and I need a tutor, they always give me things to do. You know, I say, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, and you will reach the goal you want to reach. Do this and you will be the person that you're trying to be. And never do I walk away and say, ah, it's just a bunch of rules. <laughs> no, it's more, so much more than just a bunch of rules. It's steps that we can take to become what we want to become. When the Bible gives us these steps and is saying, we want to train you and teach you and rebuke you, it's to make us the righteous person that God wants us to be and that we want to be so that we can go about doing good works. Remember, God is for us. He is for us. And what he gives us is for us. Jesus confirms what he just said and he confirms what James said about the reward for putting faith into action in John 13, 17. After he teaching his disciples, he said this, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. No, it's not enough. Doing. God does not ask us to give what we do not have, but he cannot use what we do not give him. You know, maybe you're thinking, well, oh boy, does this mean I'm being asked to be a missionary and go to wherever? <laughs> or maybe I'm being called this morning to, or maybe I'm going to be asked to give all my money to the poor. Sell it all and give it all. Um, well, maybe if the Lord tells you that, I would say do it. But I would, I would say it, it doesn't normally, in most people, in most ordinary people, it doesn't be, it isn't that extreme. It isn't that extreme. God just asks us to do simple things in our daily activities, in our daily walk with Him. He asks us to do certain things for people in our home, in our, in our church, in our businesses, in our schools that are hurting. You say, how, how do I know? Well, I'm reading God's scripture and it's telling me how I should deal with the hungry and the poor and the hurting and the sick. And I have the Holy Spirit that's prompting me and saying, you know what? You have something to give them. And if I don't do it, the Bible tells me that's sin. If I know to do good and I don't do it, it's sin. 
It's just ordinary people that build the church. It's ordinary people doing ordinary things that God's asked them to do that make a difference in the world. This was driven to me home this past week like I wouldn't believe. For 20-some years, or about 20 years, I don't know, I had the privilege of, of being a worship leader. And I led a band, Brother Josh back here, with, with one-tenth of the talent that this man has. I was able to leave a, a, a band of incredibly talented people. And every now and then, you know, you, it's easy, as we talked about, to get, to get a little heady in your position. My wife always warned me of that. She goes, you know, worship leading is a heady position. That's so is leading pastor. And uh, I always got taken back a little bit because every now and then <laughs> we'd have regular membership classes in our home church, just like we have here, membership or classes like First Steps, and we go through it and you become a member. And next steps. And um, we'd go through that, and at the end of that, people would want to become a member. And so we'd let them become a member, but, you know, vote on, all that kind of stuff, whatever. But um, we'd have a little thing they'd fill out and say, why did you come to French Church? What, what led you here? Um, what did you like about it? And what, what, you know, all those type of questions. And I always figured that most people are going to say they love the worship band and Steve Steer leading. <laughs> You know, you know, we, we were we were having rock and music, and, and no one else in, the, in this little community in, in in Ohio was doing anything like that. And, and so I'd always want, wanted to see. I was given to read them, and over and over and over again, I never read that. Instead, I'd read. Heavy steer changed our lives. That's my mom. They said the impact she had on our family was incredible. I mean. Over the past week, hundreds and hundreds of emails and notes of people, pastor after pastor after pastor at her funeral and calling hours. And all she did, she was a bookkeeper who did what the Lord asked her to do. Day by day, moment by moment, faithful to what she would do. When she would come in on Sunday morning, she was the lead greeter. And she would be the first face everybody would see. And she would love them, and she would hug them, and she would make sure if they're visiting, she got their names. She'd get the names of every children. I think she found out you know, what their favorite color was, what their favorite meal was. I don't know what all she found out. But she'd go that next week, and, and she would make sure. She, she'd run immediately and write down all those names. And then she'd go, search. If she didn't have address, she'd search the addresses. And she'd write them notes, and she would try to remember, write down what they looked like. So when they came in the next week, she could name all seven kids as they walked through the door. And I read time after time again, we're at Damascus, we're at French Church because of Evie Steer. We, we became Christians. We, we gave our life to Christ because of the ministry of Evie Steer. And it wasn't just, it wasn't just this. And she taught and she did other things. And, they, and then I was reading about from a 60-year-old guy my age and saying, and my early walk with Christ was so, was so impacted by the, by the ministry of Evie Steer. I'm, I'm, how do you guys even know her? <laughs> it's just an ordinary person who loved God who heard the word and looked into the mirror and instead of walking away, responded and said, I will do it. I will do it. Many people today in heaven because of a lady who is faithful 
what God told her to do. Can you be faithful like that? I have two questions to close. One, what has God been saying to you? What is God saying to you? Are you listening? What is God saying to you today? What has he been saying to you that you've been ignoring? Two, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? Are you going to walk away? Or are you going to respond? Jesus says this in Matthew 5, Sermon on the Mount. You are a light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people put a light on a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on the stand. And it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. That's our goal. That's what Christ has called us to do. So this morning, where do you fit? Maybe you're one of those, you've, you've been stay, staring into the Word of God, you've been, you've been intently dissecting it, and you hear, you've heard God, and you're doing. I want to just say this, keep it up. Keep it up. Paul says, do not be weary in doing good. Do not grow weary. Keep it up. The church needs you. The world needs you. Your neighbors, your friends, lost ones need you to keep doing the Word of God. Maybe you're one of those who say, you know, I'm, I believe and I'm looked. It's just a little too tough. Don't walk away. Don't turn away from that mirror and forget. Today's the day you can say, Lord, I commit myself to obedience. We used to sing a song early when I led hymns back in the day. Trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Are we willing to trust and obey him? And finally, maybe there's some that said, Christ yet isn't the center of my life. Would you all bow your heads, close your eyes? And I want to talk especially to those of you who are saying this morning, I want to know Christ. I want to experience him like others. I want to know him as my savior. Today's the day you can take that first step. Before you try to get your life into order, as James would say, take that first step of knowing Christ. Take that first step of saying, Lord, I want you. I want you in my life. If that's you this morning, if this morning you're just saying, I want to experience Christ like I've never had before. I want to know him. I want to surrender to him. Would you just put your hand up in the air so we can pray for you? There's a, oh, thank you, sis. Thank you. Thank you. Any others? Any others that in your life, in your heart, I want to surrender to you. I'm going to ask you to pray a prayer with us, and would you all join us so no one prays alone? Pray these words. Heavenly Father, Thank you today for loving me. Thank you for wanting to have a relationship with me. I surrender to you. I want to experience you. I want to live for you. I love you. Thank you. 
in Jesus' name. Amen.